drive, touchdown, Arkansas State. Culver is safe. The Red Wolves have walked it off. Amir, coast to coast, lays it home with the right hand, and he's fouled. Welcome to the Second to None podcast, the A-State podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you once again to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Matt and Brad with you. Big show today. Big show. Got basketball to talk about. We've got one of our good friends stopping by, Todd Baumgartner, former A-State baseball standout and the Northeast Arkansas Area Director of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And my, my colleague... That's right. You guys have uh, been broadcast partners the last well few years. Feels now. like yeah, for a while on ESPN Plus for the A State baseball broadcast, and I love it. It's easy for me. He just he understands the game so well. He's so close to the baseball program, anyway. So just a great asset, not only to athletics for all the FCA stuff, but. You know, I, I think he's a great sounding board for Coach Raffo, too. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoy doing those games with him because if you need something, just get him in on a story or, hey, what what should you do here? What look? And it's just, I mean, I've learned, honestly, learned a lot about the game or things that you can say as a broadcaster, even pick up little nuances here and there from working with him. So it's been a lot of fun. So we'll visit with Todd coming up here in the next few minutes, but – We'll start off with A-State hoops, and you know, it was disappointing last week because the A-State men were scheduled to play their rivals. Little Rock was supposed to come here on Thursday, and then we were supposed to go down to the Stevens Center and play them on Saturday at their place, but Little Rock, due to their injuries and COVID issues, canceling those two games, and unfortunate that... You know, these were the last scheduled games, and when the schedule came out, we didn't know this would be the case, but Little Rock has announced that they're leaving for the Ohio Valley, and these were the last regular season games between A-State and Little Rock. I don't know when these two teams will face each other <laughs> I don't again. know either, because sometimes you... You, you, in an organization, you have to take just a second maybe make sure everybody's giving the same message because the day Little Rock had this uh, announcement they're going to the OVC, one of the questions their AD gets asked is about what about playing Arkansas State? And the guy goes, their AD's like, well, you know, without saying, basically, yeah, absolutely, we'll keep playing Arkansas State. Right after that, Tom Bowen's on my show with me, and absolutely, we want to play Little Rock. Last week, Mike Blotto, what about the future of the, uh, the the series here? He says, was it? They're going to the Ohio Valley? Yeah, that's right. All right, good luck to him in the OVC. <laughs> well, now he back, look. Later on, he was that was, was during, a fired up That was during a Zoom early in the day, and uh, I'm sure Coach Blotto doesn't mind me saying this, but he already knew that's right. the announcement that's that right. would come just a few hours later that Little Rock was not coming. 
Yes, I think he had just found out about that as well. So and here's the thing: in that same that's the Zoom, reason why there was a little bit of emotion. He, there. But he came back. I mean, it came up again later in the Zoom, and he's like, "I get it. You know, fans love you know, in-state rivalries and comp. So absolutely, we're up for playing." But you're right. In fact, he couldn't say the games were off because the league hadn't said it. But it was clear that as he stood there talking with us, he already knew he was having to kind of talk about games that he knew weren't going to happen. We'll get into the matchups this week against the Texas schools coming up a little bit later on, but it will be good to see the A-State men finally back on the floor after what will be a a 12-day layoff by the time they finally hit the floor on Thursday night against Texas Arlington. Meanwhile, the A-State women with a really good week. They are now 10-7 and overall, 3-1 and in league play. They've won their last three. A couple of really impressive home wins this past week. They defeated Appalachian State on Thursday, 98-92 in I wasn't able to go out on Thursday night, but I remember you texting me right after the game and saying, man, that was a great game. 14 ties, 12 yeah. lead changes, and the Red Wolves pulled it out. It was it was a fun, fun game to watch because you know, you just sort of see teams, they would just kind of, somebody would go on a 7-0 run, and then the teams would just trade baskets for a while, and then the other team would go on an 8-0 run, and Things are just trade baskets for a while, and there's just these little spurts, boom, boom, boom. And A-State got the last one, really, is what it boils down to, coming down the stretch. Just, uh, yeah, real fun game, uh, especially if you like points being scored, then it was right uh, down your alley because there's a lot of those. They're scoring a lot of points right now. In fact, as we sit here recording this, A-State eighth in the country in scoring at around 82 points a game. Yeah, they went 98 back-to-back games uh well that'll raise the average dating a little back bit. you know the, the ulm and then that app game app state game so 98 back-to-back games yeah they're they're one of the top scoring teams in the country uh they've they've been fun to watch uh of late and they're really balanced they've got they five fact, players in double figures and they had all five starters and double figures but i think i mean you're re- they're really close to having five people averaging double figures. And they've had at least three in double figures in every game this season. One of the more interesting little tidbits about this team, and you mentioned the post or the weekly Zoom yep. that Mike Bellato's been having. Destiny Rogers has been having a Zoom as well. One thing that she's done very well the last couple of weeks is call out, for lack of a better term, players that she needs a little bit more from and it really worked out with kia Patton. you know she, she said last week that uh, she needed uh, more out of kia and she responds with the 30 point first half and then last week she called out gyra washington and morgan wallace so to kind of the the back the whole backstory here she was asking that zoo and it was a uh, she literally was asked going into a game against the Cajuns that didn't happen. They're pretty good. Who do you need to step up? You know, she didn't dance around the answer. She just said, I need Kia Patton to step up. Bop, bop, bop. Here's why. And I need Trinity Jackson to step up because we're having to deal with her a lot about how she reacts to either picking up offensive fouls or not getting calls. We can't let the way a game is officiated affect the way she plays. 30 point half and a double double. For those two, <laughs> the next time they get on the floor. So last week, 
I just said, I asked her, I said, hey, works well last week. Who would you like to call out this time? Who are you going to put out there? And she laughed and then said, Gyra. You were going, yeah, I need, you know, Gyra Washington. And she started actually with Morgan Wallace. She said, it's not that I need Morgan to step up, but I just need her to get her confidence back on the offensive end because she doesn't have to score a lot for this team, but she really can. And so, and then she said, I need Gyra to, to have a good game. And Morgan Wallace had a double double, and Gyra Washington had a career high. Gyra Washington, yeah, career high 25 points against. App State, four assists, four steals. 14 in the fourth quarter. And then Saturday, in the win over Coastal Carolina, has 17 points, seven assists, and no turnover. She had one turnover combined in the two games last week. Let me remind folks of this. This team last year lost its opener to UAPB. The sky was falling, shut the program down. They won nine in a row including their first four conference games. Jaira Washington gets hurt in the next game, misses the rest of the year, and they don't win again. They were 9-1. and one. She got hurt. They don't win again. Misses, she's still not all the way back at the start of this year. And even when they kind of work, started working her in there, you could see she wasn't right. I mean, you could – literally, she's playing, and you can see her limp around. I think Arkansas may have been the first game she played in. And you can see her hobbling around. What you see now is that hobble's gone – She's playing like an all-conference player, which she is, and uh, she looks that part, and they're playing really well. So they beat App on Thursday night in, in the shootout, 98-92, and then two days later, Coastal Carolina comes in, and they're a team that came in to the weekend with a record of 12-3. and So this was a good opponent coming in, and a-State's up six at the half, and then they pull away in the second half. Went at 81-60, to 60 and this was a, a really nice all-around performance. 9-0 run to start the second half, and really just sort of worked off that double-digit lead the rest of the way. Navigated around some foul trouble. Again, balanced scoring, you know, just up and down the lineup. And, you know, the thing they really did well is, uh, you know, Coastal Carolina was plus 15.8. It was what they averaged out-rebounding their opponents by. Mm-hmm. They were plus 15.8, third highest rebound margin in the country. They had out-rebounded every opponent they had played coming in. And they out-rebounded Arkansas State by two. Nobody had played them nearly that close on the boards. I asked Destiny Rogers as she was coming out to do post-game radio, I said, hey, had I told you before the game you could be minus two on the boards, would you take it? And she's like, No. I said, yeah, coach, they're plus 15.8. They've out-rebounded everybody. Nobody's kept that close. She said, yeah, but I want to win every category. (laughs) Well, I love that attitude. That's great. They're doing so many things well. They're getting to the line a lot. They're fourth in the country as a team in free throws made. They've got the top two in the conference in free throw attempts on the season. Trinity Jackson's number one. Morgan Wallace is number two. Morgan's actually leading the league in free throws made. But Trinity Jackson continues to to do great things for this team. And not only is she getting to the line as much as she is, but she's leading the Sun Belt. She's 15th in the country in offensive rebound. And and it's all of this – Young person was just about you know making a commitment to the conditioning side of things. Period. She's going to be the strongest player on the floor every night, and just flat out brute. She's country strong, 
she just is and so that's you know she, she's going to have that advantage so about kind of how to harness that but then mostly just physically committing to get herself in a spot where she could be on the floor more and the more she plays the more numbers she puts up and and credit to her for making that commitment so three wins in a row for the a-state women they've got Six a big seven big week ahead and we'll talk about them a little bit later on in the program but coming up next we'll be joined by our good friend todd Baumgartner. that's next on the second to none podcast presented by simmons bank you raised your family here did every july 4th here refinish the floors here twice sized up your daughter's boyfriends here waited in the doorway all day when your son was coming home on leave this place has given you all you've dreamed of and now it's giving again in the form of a gourmet kitchen and the quietest dishwasher known to man Realize your dream with a home equity line of credit from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. Back on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We are joined in studio today by a good friend of ours and the Northeast Arkansas Area Director for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, also former A-State baseball great, Todd Baumgartner. How you doing, Bob? I'm good. Did you, hear, I mean, did you hear you got the – nobody else has the gotten bell. the bell. <laughs> got the Brandon Baxter bell over here with me. So I did hear that. Kind of nobody change. ever has got the bell. Uh, yeah. First By time default. Ever. Usually that's a, that's a birthday bell. But, yeah, I'll give you more of an intro. I mean, pretty cool you know, to look in the record books and see that you're the all-time leader in A-Bs, run scored, hits, doubles. <clears throat> Total bases, second in RBIs. And then last September, you were inducted into the A-State Hall of Honor. Oh, you've had a few months to reflect on that. Yeah. You know? yeah. When, when you go back and and think about the honor, think about that night in particular, and the folks that you went in with. I mean, you went in with three football players, Joe Slayton, Ryan Applin, Demario Davis, and then Sharika Nelvis was also – in that class, I mean, what do you think about? Well, like you said, it, it's hard to wrap my head around the folks that were that were going in. Many people said, you know, this class is one of the better classes that they've ever seen, and I, I couldn't help but agree to to look at those names to know. I mean, we were all the same age, so I've I got to watch these people do you know their sport just like everybody else. And you know, Demario Davis was a was a close friend. Ryan Applin was a close friend, and. Um, like I had even mentioned watching Sharika just dominate, absolutely dominate the sport um, and track was uh, was unbelievable. And so to even be obviously named in that group, um, I said it many times, I, I, they just needed a baseball guy to break it up a little bit, <laughs> just throw it in there and uh, just happen to pull my name out of the hat. But um, man, I, you know, you asked, you know, had I had time to reflect it's hard to put into words how grateful I was for that night. I mean, it was just so well put. I mean, those everybody there um, loves this school so much, just showing their gratitude for it. And what was so overwhelming for me, Matt, was the fact that not everybody gets a chance in their lifetime to stand up in front of people and just thank the people that helped them get to where they are, yeah. regardless of how far that is you know, dream job or whatever the, whatever the situation. And I just got super overwhelmed thinking about, I wish everybody had an opportunity to stand in front of 
a bunch of people and just think they're family members or think they're close friends or past coaches. And so even just to have that opportunity, forget about my name wherever or my picture wherever, just to be able to stand up there like that. I mean, I felt bad because there's a million things I wish I would have said. You know, you always reflect after that and be like, man, I wish I would have said this or that. But that's probably what stuck out, you know, to me the most about that night. I want to bounce around a little bit because, as he said, you're the the school's all-time leader, and I'll run through that again. At bats, runs, hits, doubles, total bases, second in career RBIs. But there's a wave of guys coming through now, chance to cheat. Play five years. Are you concerned about any of these records falling? You know, I was concerned about Drew Tipton when he showed up first day on the job, first of all. Um, but as you mentioned. Now, he finished like one run short of your run scored record, I think. Yeah, it was it was really close. And it was a testament. And we followed him all year long for his whole career, really. But just how often he got on base. And then you stacked a couple guys like Liam Hicks behind him and Sure enough, why not have you know him light <laughs> up the the record book on that? But yeah, obviously the, these guys are getting another year. But to be honest with you, the culture of Division One baseball has shifted a little bit. There's not as many you know true freshmen that are really playing. We got a lot of JUCO guys in there, and so they haven't really had the time that that I got to. I just racked those numbers up here because I was here so long. That's that's all. Those are reflective of and uh, had some good guys in, in front of me getting on, on base. So when I would hit my little bloop single, they would they would score. Yeah. Drew Tipton, I mean, not that we're <clears throat> off topic, but just to your point, like for real, like at one point he's like two for 22 with a 400 on base yeah. percentage. Yeah. And we, I mean, I don't know how often we talked about it on the air, but it was just like, it doesn't matter. He's at the plate, so he's going to end up at first base somehow, <laughs> some way. Even if the guy catches it, he's going to end up at first base. It's fun to watch. You've got some great stories, and you told some of them during the banquet. And it was, it was an, an honor to introduce you at the Hall of Honor banquet, number one. But it was kind of fun to go back and reminisce a little bit and remember some of the fun moments. And, you know, you were, were recruited to Arkansas State by Keith Kessinger. And I, I remember talking to him the week of the Hall of Honor banquet, and he reminded me, he said, you know, that you were the most highly recruited kid that came to A-State during his tenure. So I remember you telling me, that when he was recruiting you, he told you a story about how the wind blows every day. He said, you're going to love it. The wind blows every day. Is that right? Yeah. He didn't tell you it blew straight in every day. Yeah. Most most people who know Coach Kessinger know how just a phenomenal human being he is. I mean, complete top shelf guy. And nobody would ever bad an eye at anything he's ever said. I mean, you would trust him with your life. And uh, <laughs> so sitting at my kitchen table that that evening, 2000, I guess it was 2006, I, I trusted Coach K and what he was telling me. Well, he and, wasn't and, lying and, to you. You are exactly right. He didn't lie one time when he told me how hard the wind blew in and how I'm going to love it and uh, and that sort of thing. And, and little did I know, first day, on campus and he was I mean just as if he had said it an hour before the wind was blowing was howling it just happened to be blowing straight towards the backstop of home plate and (laughs) he didn't tell me that the ballpark played like it was the polo grounds and dead center or something um and so 
Yeah, he he got me on because <laughs> you got to know he used to tell that same story to all the pitchers too, <laughs> but he told them the truth about which way. Yeah. Well, blew. sure, yeah, it, it's a pitcher's <laughs> ballpark. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. Now I racked up all those numbers you read off were on the road. And so <laughs> if you took just my home numbers, I wouldn't be anywhere close to a name to anything. I like it, but your recruiting is that Coach Kester had to overcome having Brad Henderson make the, phone, the oh first phone call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that was something I'll never forget. And first of all, I'd never heard of Arkansas State being from Illinois. And, you know, I followed U of A and Mizzou, or excuse me, U of I and, and Mizzou. And that was pretty much the extent of my college knowledge. And so Arkansas State called me. I was getting letters and calls and, and whatnot from a bunch of schools. But I definitely never heard of Arkansas State. But when Coach Hindu called, and some of you listeners that know him, he stuck out. Uh, and that's all they <laughs> yes, needed. Does. That's all they needed was for somebody to stick out in the midst of a lot of these mid-level uh, schools that were calling me. And Sure enough, that accent, I just couldn't get over. I couldn't get it out of my head. And when he uh, plainly said, you know, Ty, we're going to shoot you straight. We want you. We we want you. There's, there's nothing about it. We just, we want you. And uh, that's not far off, by the I way. Said, no. I said, Coach, I have no idea what you just said or where you guys are at, but I'll, uh, I'll give you a call if I'm interested and had zero plans of ever calling him back. Because the truth is, like, if you look at it, Hindu is the Todd Baumgartner of the Ole Miss program. Well, and I didn't know that. At, yeah, I didn't know that at the time until I got here, and and somebody brought that to my attention of how good of a ball player he was. I, he would have fooled me by that one conversation. <laughs> one thing that I also realized going back and kind of looking at, at your career at A State, you know, I remember you being injured. I didn't remember just how much you were injured and how many times you played through it. And I've got a list. And probably you know, here all yeah, day. Yeah, your, your freshman year, the, the year that, that Coach Kessinger coached you yeah. at A State, you, you broke your finger during a bunning drill. Mm-hmm. And so you were out for the rest of the year. And I remember Coach K said that, you know, the team was never the same after that and that they really weren't. And then one year just before the season, you suffer a severe ankle sprain. Uh, didn't look like there was a chance you'd be ready, but uh, but you were. You broke your jaw at one point. It was wired shut. You, you pulled a hamstring at ULM one weekend and somehow convinced Coach Raffo that you could still DH and you go 9 for 12 on the weekend. We're at South one year, at South Alabama a pitch breaks your finger, you stay in the game, and Homer on the very next pitch. And then you figured out how to keep playing by holding your bat differently and went on to win the Sun Belt's Home Run Derby that year. That's some pretty tough stuff. Yeah, that's about half of the list, too, by the way. Because, yeah. matter of fact, after I broke my finger the second time in South Allen, hit that home run. Two weeks later, I tore my pec muscle swinging and missing at a changeup in the dirt against Troy at home. And so not only could I not hold the bat correctly, I couldn't get the bat in my normal stance. I had to hold it around my rib cage area because I couldn't get it above my shoulder because I pulled my pec muscle. And he was just telling me just keep taking half swings, half swings. And little did I know that was this recipe for success. And I had probably the best four weeks of my life. <laughs> As you mentioned, the home run derby and a couple of other home runs and doubles within that. And I always seem to play better injured. And uh, that's not by coincidence. You know, Coach Raffle talked that, about that a lot. It just, 
being able to remove any thought process of hitting and just going up there and doing the best you can without any expectation. And it seemed to work in, in my favor. But yeah, multiple ankle injuries. I think I did both ankles five or six times and I actually tore both hamstrings and both quads um, between ASU ball and summer ball. And as you mentioned, the broken jaw was was the tough one. I had appendicitis there in the middle of the season, right. my junior year, um, right before we left for Evansville. Did, so, did it ever get to a point where you're like, okay, yeah, I've had it with the injuries. Yeah. You know, it, I'm, I'm done. I think towards the end of my career, for sure, that, that played a part in what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. That, that kind of sparked the thought process of, is this what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and obviously God used that to kind of steer me in a different direction. And so I think, yeah, I'm glad you asked the question because that, that to be perfectly honest did weigh on me. I mean, I was tired of that stuff. I was tired of being in and out of surgeries and, um, going to 6am with Ron Carroll every morning. Cause uh, I guess it's, I would imagine it's fair to say that as an 18 year old <clears throat> and being, you know, a highly touted recruit considered out of the, the St. Louis area, even though you're over to Illinois, Arkansas State's just to place your head in between high school and playing pro ball. Yeah, 100%, because I had plenty of those interviews and calls with pro scouts. I, I, did, I wouldn't even anticipate going to college. I was just going to play pro ball right out of high school. And even Coach K mentioned that. He said, listen, you're, you're going to play here for three years, and you're going to be the guy for three years. And so just come in, be the man, start as a freshman, and then I'll prepare you for pro ball. And he even said that after my first injury my freshman year, when I broke my finger, I believe that I had some eligibility that I could have taken back from that. I think, I'm not for sure, I don't want to put this on Coach K, but I think there was a chance that I could have redshirted that year because of that injury. But I vividly remember him even mentioning to me that, man, you're, you're only going to be here for three years, finish out the season, get your ABs up, go into summer ball ready. And so that's what I that's what I did, um, but that was the whole thought process from the very beginning. We knew guys could get drafted out of there, and he he sold me on that, and uh, and so that was the whole thought process from the very beginning. And I mentioned the weekend at ULM, you played with a, a bad hamstring. Yeah. You DH and go nine for twelve. Yeah. And you had mentioned that I had convinced Coach. Actually, that was, it was the other way around. I, coach convinced me. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I, I was torn up. I. I couldn't walk correctly. I remember our trainer in the hotel room, uh, Marcelo, and you know he's an old Brazilian soccer player. I remember yeah, Marcelo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so his ways of training were vastly different <laughs> than most people. Um, he called me sissy. I don't know how many times as we're standing. I'm, I'm laying down, so you can picture. I'm laying down on my hotel bed. My my roommate Drew Bennis was sitting right next to me, and Marcelo was in there. He told me to lay down on my my belly, and I pulled my short pant or my short leg up, and he starts. He put this little gel, and he starts rubbing on my hamstring. Um, he, he called them the purple tools, and the purple tools are not what you want to see when you have a pulled muscle. He said, we got to get that dug out of there. And I said, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. And he said, just put this in your mouth so you don't scream loud. And uh, he so did. Mr. Miyagi stuff yeah, going on he, here. He put a towel in my mouth and uh, Drew Bennis, he, he had to go to the other room. He couldn't, he couldn't take it. <laughs> I was in so much pain. Um, and he said, when, when I play soccer, we use glass Coke bottles. And so that's what they would use to rub their pulled muscles out to, to heal them. And 
I couldn't tell if my leg was all black and blue because of the pulled hamstring or because he just <laughs> he just demolished it with these purple tools. And um, well, you got on the field. Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't feel great that next morning, uh, day of the game that Friday. Um, and I said, Coach, there ain't no, there ain't no way. He said, Ty, I don't need you to run. I need you to hit. Just hit the ball and make it to wherever you can make it. And as you mentioned, I, I believe half of those were doubles. And just because oh, they yeah? were half jog, half fast walk around first base and uh, slide from half halfway and <laughs> hope that I get there. And so I felt bad more for Brandon Neller, who sat, who hit right behind me. I was getting on base. I just couldn't score. <laughs> Cost him RBI. <laughs> yeah. He had to hit it over the fence for me to score from second. We talked about – We talked about – Coach Kessinger and and the special guy that uh, that he is and the impact he had on you getting you to Arkansas State, but you know Coach Raffo came in mm. going into your sophomore season, and I know he's had a significant impact on your life and kind of talk about the impact that he had on you. I mean, obviously baseball wise, he helped you out, but off mm. the field, I know he did some big things as well. Yeah, I mean, I went from one top-shelf coach, human being, to, I mean, anybody who knows Tommy Raffo, especially in the baseball world, they would all agree that he's as good as they come. And I can vouch for that being in the inner circle, mm-hmm. so to speak, and as, as as you guys as well. It was just a, he was such a baseball mind, and his credentials showed for it. But he was just the fact that he was willing to give me the time to share that information. I mean, we spent so many hours one-on-one in the cage together and he literally took my game from one level to the next and um, just being willing to give me that time and when I got named a team captain as a as a sophomore I spent more time with coach Raffo than anybody else on the team he wanted me to bridge the gap between the players and the coaching staff and trying to be all things to the players and then also kind of get the culture and message from the coaching staff to them was difficult at times and and so from for him and I just to be able to sit down together and talk through those things and talk about the culture of the program it taught me obviously a ton on his heart and what he wants for this program how much he loved this place and uh, the fact that he would entrust that to me as a sophomore um, obviously said said a ton and you know, we've kindled that relationship ever since. You know, I've had the privilege of chaplaining the team since then. And because of that, our relationship's only grown closer as he's continued to allow me to do what I do through FCA and give me access and um, continue being a part of the program. So you're an upper level producer, but not an upperclassman. And you're with a first year head coach. Is yeah. it, did you have to ask some hard conversations with him did you have to say hey here's something you think is the way it's going over with the team but this is how it's really going it was it were, there were things that were hard to tell him yeah it's hard balance i'm glad you asked that because that's a tough balance to to balance the trust of the team and also the trust of the the coaching staff and so there were things i couldn't tell him um, but most things he already knew and so i didn't have to tell him um But we could have candid conversations, more so of how the things that they're doing are getting to the team, how they're coming across to the team. Do they understand? Do they not understand? Do they complain about everything that they're doing? All that type of stuff. And so I was really fortunate to be able to see. It was tough, probably more so on the player side, because I could see. I knew coaches hard. I knew what they were wanting to do, and I could buy into that because he could have candid conversations with me. But it was tough when the players didn't really quite understand 
what was trying to be done. And we were, we were in the middle of a culture shift, as you guys probably remember. That team was kind of, I don't want to say wayward, but we had a lot of mixed guys in, in the bunch. who Some wanted to be there, some didn't. Uh, wasn't crazy about the, the new hire and the shift and all that kind of stuff and took a lot of getting used to. And coach's standpoint, he's trying to recreate a culture and – Man, if if we've learned anything over the last year, just with football and other sports, that this happened, that's a that's a tough go. Tommy Raffo was trying to help you become a better baseball player, but he was also trying to make you a better person. Mm. Tell me the batting helmet story. <laughs> yeah, you're 100 percent right. He he was concerned with us as human beings as well as ball players, and uh, he had to remain in control of the team. And he wouldn't let it slip if if uh, one of us tried to take control. And so, in the, in case I had a bad outing uh, one day, and I don't know if I struck out for the first time or the fourth time, you, you probably couldn't tell based off of my reactions. <laughs> but the only thing I had in my hand at the time was my helmet. In order not to hit somebody else, I I threw that thing so hard into the helmet rack that it broke my helmet and part of the helmet rack. So not only did I offend their stuff but you know coach cook worked real hard on them helmet racks now and uh those are those are his <laughs> helmet racks and you didn't mess with his stuff either so i had coach well you made cookie mad yeah too. i had coach raffle and coach cook on me coach raffle wasn't gonna let that slide he was gonna make an example and i just happened to be that example and uh so the next day the next practice it was actually a practice he brought me in front of the team and we're all standing in a dugout which is not normal and he points out the helmet rack and he points out that bomb took his helmet and he he said what shape is your helmet in and i said my helmet's my helmet's broke too (laughs) and uh (laughs) he said well i want you to repeat after me and we uh begin this saga of apology uh, to my helmet as i committed uh to never do that again and and say i'm sorry to the helmet you apologize to the helmet yeah yeah and and then the rack's good hey what about me yeah exactly no, the rag didn't. The rag didn't get nothing. I think Coach had made his point, so I obviously felt about two inches tall. Uh, well, in thank you for sharing that because that that's a great story. Number one, but it also it shows the kind of leader that Coach Raffo is. You certainly learned a lesson from that, a lesson that you still remember to this day. And you'll never forget it. Yeah, hard to forget that one. Actually, it's really fun because I'm glad. I mean, I'll never forget it. And now, uh, because of that leadership style and that discipline style, my kids will never forget it either. I don't know how many things they've had to apologize (laughs) to. (laughs) (laughs) So you can thank Coach Raffo for this one, Annabelle and Tate. So say sorry to your markers. You know, you, you talked about it during your induction speech. You have this great career. You've got a chance to go play professional baseball after you're done at Arkansas State. And you were being led in a different direction. You know, talk about your path to being part of FCA, which obviously you're you're still I mean, that's your life right now, but how hard was it to walk away from baseball at that point? I think it was only hard because it wasn't gonna be there anymore. I remember my last game at Monroe uh, was in the conference tournament, and uh, I think I was—I think we were playing FIU, and I'm standing on second base. And if you remember at the time, um, Whittles, 
Garrett Garrett Willett was playing shortstop. I mean, a phenomenal career, a pro-style career there. And we're standing on second base. You had the 58-game hitting hitting streak. streak Which which at one point, we're going to tell tell a great story. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Ben Providence and Justin Message. And and Murray Watts right in the middle of all all that. Should should have never happened. Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, grateful for that, that kid. Glad he had a great career. Anyways, we're standing on second base and we're just talking. And man, this is, I can't believe this is over. Uh, this was both of our last games in the Sun Belt. And we both had great careers. And he was just, he was like, man, I can't wait to play pro ball with you. You know, I'll, I'll, let's go up, let's do this thing together. And uh, I can remember. At that time, that what I felt bad about was knowing that there's a lot of guys that don't ever get the chance to go play. And um, here I am, I have a chance to go play, but I I didn't feel like it was right. It, so in the in the to answer the question, it was really easy not to go because I knew what was right. It's like loving your kids. You guys have kids. It's it's real easy to love your kids because you know it's 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 the right thing to do. It never it may be hard at times, but you know you do it. And so. Um, for me, it was the same way. I knew what God wanted me to do, so the decision itself wasn't wasn't hard at all. I don't, I, I didn't stress over it. I knew for a fact that this is what God wanted of my life, and because I was so committed in doing what He wanted me to do, that I mean, literally, Matt, He He just took the desire to play pro ball away. That's what I was asking Him to do. If you want me to do this, just take the desire away so that it's mm. easier. And He did. He changed the desire, as you mentioned. We made a point earlier those injuries and things. He used that to kind of get me out of the way, so to speak. Yeah, Coach Raffo had said, though, that when you came to him and said, this is what you wanted to do, to think about it, this is a big decision, said you came back the very next day, said you were that sure that FCA is the way you wanted to go. Yeah, he didn't know behind closed doors that starting in December that day or that year, um, I guess it would have been the previous year, I had began the process of thinking and praying about what, what I was supposed to be doing. I knew this was my last season. So I wasn't going to wait till May 15th to try to decide what I want to do with my life. I had been literally thinking and praying every single day about this for the last six months. And so to him, it, it seemed like a quick decision, but it, it wasn't at all. And to be honest with you, I firmly believe God had been preparing me for this my whole career. You know, I got injured throughout the middle of that senior season, and maybe that was the last straw. I don't know, but I knew that when I walked into Coach Raffo's office, told him what I was thinking, and he, I mean, just like any father would or great coach, said, "Man, sleep on it, think about it. Have you thought about this?" I mean, he was only concerned about my well-being and didn't want me to experience any regrets. Mm-hmm. He knew I could play at the next level. By that time, I was. 100% sure at what I was supposed to be doing. So what are you here? Is that you 22, 23, what, when you're making this decision? Yeah, 22, I guess. Yeah. So now, were you and Kimberly already married at that point? No, we were engaged. Okay. I, I just want to know how, in your faith, how did you change from the 18-year-old kid that came down here? And if that was a big change, yeah. what, what caused it? Yeah, a huge change. I mean... You guys probably know, you know, I, I didn't really have a faith background before college. I, I had I had really never been to church before. I uh, didn't really know anything. I couldn't have told you one book of the Bible or one verse. I mean, I, literally nothing. It was never on my radar. It was not something that we really did. We played sports and that was it. 
hung out with family and that that was the bulk of my childhood it was we were very family oriented just not real religious and so i came to arkansas state and you know the first guy i met was another legend in arkansas state baseball josh yates Mm -hmm. obviously most people compare our stories to very similar just because of the, uh, the paths that we took are very similar and so he starts sharing with me just how his life was transformed in college And so my freshman year is when I actually gave my life to Christ and he began what we call discipling me, teaching me. And I met with him once or twice a week, every, every week for three straight years. And, um, it was obviously his probably had the most influence spiritually on me. And so I, there was a drastic change between it really happened within like the first month of being on the college Mm -hmm. campus. It It was still August. Um, whenever uh, that that took place. And so over the next four years, obviously I grew and I matured. And, and so here I am making the biggest decision of my life, second biggest after I just asked Kimberly to marry me. And now I got to decide what I'm going to do with my life. <laughs> I know who I'm doing it with. I just got to figure out what, what that is. And so obviously it didn't come without some influential people speaking into my life up to that point. What I thought was cool too. I mean, when you made that decision, you called every single pro team every major league organization that was interested and said hey don't take me i'm out yeah and i vividly remember the day the time the the call um i was it was on a sunday morning i was sitting in church it was like 10 o'clock and uh my phone rang and uh, a guy named jorge who was with the bureau and so he basically scouted for every team and i had probably talked to him more than anybody except for the Royals. I spent some time with the Royals. He calls me Sunday morning and I step out knowing that what this phone call was about. And so I didn't want to leave it linger. And uh, yeah, he mentioned, you know, Todd, you got some teams that are interested in you thinking about, I I don't know if he was for sure when he mentioned the 10th round or whatever. I just remember saying, I really, I couldn't be more thankful and appreciative of the opportunity, but I don't want you to waste a pick on me because regardless of where it is, what the money is, I'm not, I'm not playing professional baseball. I've decided this is the direction and direction of ministry that I want to go and where I feel like God is leading me. And it was a really cool conversation. He was super appreciative, first of all, of, of just me being honest and not wasting out. I, I, I just couldn't think of a high school kid getting bumped or a kid not getting drafted that this was his dream. It was yeah. no longer my dream. And so I didn't want to take that away from somebody that um, would have said yes. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to do my due diligence in that aspect because I had gone through the whole process. I, I had done all the paperwork and went and did the workouts in Kansas City at Kauffman Stadium, one of the coolest experiences ever, and you know spent time with the Giants. So I had done everything, um, but by this point, I knew what I was supposed to do. You look back now, and I mean, it's been uh, around a decade you've yeah. been involved with FCA. That's right. Can you put into words just how rewarding this experience has been for you? Obviously, no. I wouldn't try to put it into words. It's it's just in relationships that I've I've had. I really thought that God was wanting me to influence professional athletes. That's why I was going to play pro ball. And then it, when it became very clear that that wasn't what I was supposed to do, it kind of got switched back to college athletes. And that's where my heart is, is on that college campus at A-State to see kids um, go through the same things I, I went through. But I, I, when I think of one particular experience um, 
I think I remember saying that I, I don't want to leave this campus because of there was one guy, one one of my teammates that I had a heart for that I wanted to influence more than anybody else. I know that's probably bad to say, but uh, mm. this this kid had. Uh, uh, and I just had such a close relationship, and it went way further back than ASU. And most of you guys remember Zach Maggio. Sure, yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. he was like a little brother to me in high school. Um, he was the only freshman that was allowed up at the varsity, and he was my backup at shortstop. We spent a lot of time together. We had nicknames for each other and whatnot. As a matter of fact, my son Tate is named after a nickname that I had gave Maggio when we were in high school. And I promised him wow. I would okay. I would name my first that? son. Yeah, and it uh, didn't mean anything. It was just a, a, a comment now. I, will, I do have to say, he did not follow through on his end of the deal, but partly because the name Butch wasn't really uh, in his repertoire for his <laughs> his, uh, his daughter. So, uh, anyways, yeah, probably a solid call by um, Zach. Yeah, and so... So anyways, he was the person that I just couldn't get out of my mind when I thought about his lifestyle and mine and how closely they were and how much I wanted him to experience what I had experienced through having a relationship with Christ. And so um, I, I felt like at the beginning, he was one of those guys where he drew me back to A-State just because of um, the influence. And, and so when I think about the reward – you know, to this day, uh, about it was his senior year. It was over break, over Christmas break. We had gone to a conference, and at that conference, he had made a decision to follow Christ with his life. And so, at that point, I, I could have just thrown my hands up in the air and said, I- "I'm, it's fulfilled. I'm done." You know, I, I did what I've been praying for. Um, but then, obviously. Uh, there's been athlete after athlete, coach after coach since then, and it just seems like whoever the next person is, or whoever the you know the next coach is, or whoever crosses my paths and, and we influence, it's just the next reward that man, it was worth it to hang around that that much longer. It was worth it to 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 hang on one more month with FCA, and here we are, almost ten years later, and. He's obviously one of many stories that sticks out in my mind. I've, obviously, I've been closely associated with the football team for the last yeah. eight years, and uh, I couldn't even tell you the amount of conversations across my desk um, that have happened in in just that 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 time, and many many just like that story was that. Hey, you mentioned football. I mean, I think one of the coolest reflections of, of the work that's been done through FCA is the fact that. You know, two former A-State football players are on your FCA yeah. staff now. Yeah, well, they're the coolest guys in the world, so they were easy pickups. But uh, Darius Dunaway, who was a D-end, um, he was, he's a year younger than me, so we played together. You know, and um, his faith obviously exudes out of him. His personality is unbelievable, and he just attracts people. Um, and I remember I was I'm I'm needing help. I, this campus is too big. I'm trying to figure out how to influence all these athletes. There's just too many of them, and I'm like, I, I gotta hire somebody to help. And I remember Darius was selling cars over at Premier Auto. Shout out, I guess. And uh, he's doing really well. I mean, obviously, he attracts people, mm-hmm. and uh, so he's just killing it over there. I'm like, I have no shot of pulling him away from the success that he's having selling cars. And so I texted him and said, are you ready to give some purpose to your life and uh, come influence athletes? And uh, so we sat down, and he was ready. 
he was willing. You know, I talk about giving up an opportunity. He gave up so much opportunity um, financially to come work for the ministry of FCA and and use his life for purpose to influence athletes and coaches. And obviously, he is just absolutely killing it. We've talked about his work with football, football, but also basketball now. Yeah. And any athlete or coach that he comes across, uh, they won't they won't forget him uh, by any means. And uh, he's just a joy to be around. For well, sure, and, such and a fun a, presence to yeah, be around. But such you know, some sports about another football man. One of them, there, there's he's going to cross paths with so many guys that had a. Backstory like yeah. his, what yeah. Deltwood coming out of Monroe, and just so relatable. Uh, and I actually was with Darius uh, last week. We were both at uh, David Gunn, Paragold High School, hired yeah. David Gunn as a yeah. head football coach. Darius and I were both at his press conference. It was over. We both ended up in this little small group conversation where everybody was peppering us about questions about the transfer portal, they state football, and this <laughs> and that, and how's this work, and how that work, and. And finally, at one point, Darius just said, you know what? I just stay in my lane and talk to people about Jesus. Yep, that's it. That's it. <laughs> I mean, the that, definition. That's a good philosophy. <laughs> yeah. If I had it on the job description, that's exactly what he would say. Bro, just stay in your lane and just talk to people about Jesus. He's really, he's really, really, really good at that. Um, and then, obviously, we just picked up Jay Cliff. You know, his story isn't quite as dramatic as mine. He had the opportunity, and he wanted the opportunity to play at the next level. But it, it just didn't happen, and nobody can really answer why. One of the best nickel safeties in the Sun Belt ever, and he's not even given a shot to go play at the next level. And that hurt him. It hurt him a, a lot. He he went home back to Tupelo and didn't know what to do with his life, And uh, to be honest with you. And I have been discipling him. He had a dramatic life change halfway through his college career, and I have been walking with him through that and helping him mature in his faith for the last two or three years of his college career. And um, so I called him about two days after the draft just to check on him. And he said, man, I I really haven't come out of my room much. And I said, well, I I need you up here in Jonesboro next week. You're going to go to an FCA camp with me, and uh, I need you to help share the gospel with these these, um, junior high and high school athletes. And he couldn't tell me no. He didn't have anything to do, and so he felt <laughs> he felt bad uh, telling me no. And when he left that camp, it was a week long camp. Two things happened. One, he got offered a job with FCA, and uh, it came at a point in his life where he noticed that God was wanting to use him and uh, do something much bigger. And man, he followed through in obedience with that, and he came on staff. And the second thing is, he met his future wife at that camp mm. and uh they recently just got married this past fall and so they've they've been together obviously ever since and so we can look back now and say well man why did this happen and we know the answers not everybody gets the answers like we've we've got and uh and he's so obviously grateful but you know that's a, it's a cool story of how he got here but every story from here on out is is amazing to hear about how these coaches and athletes in the high schools um, just love him to death. I mean, he was such yeah. a great pickup. You guys know he's an attractive personality as well, and uh, he just got a heart of gold. And so when he walks in there, he wants to impact your athletes. And and these coaches, they want him around because they see the influence that he can be for their their athlete, their student athletes. And uh, he's willing to give himself up for that. And and he gives his life over to those guys each and every day. And so he's a gold mine for the ministry of FCA as well. Darius Dunaway and Justin Clifton, a couple of great examples of A-State athletes that have been affected by FCA. A chance for everybody listening to this to help out 
FCA coming up very soon. You're having a pheasant tower yeah. shoot hunt coming yeah. up. Uh, give us the details on this. Yeah. You know, we've always had a successful golf tournament. That's not going away. We've got plenty of people who still like to play golf around here. But there's obviously another niche of people that uh, really enjoy hunting. And I don't know anything about this, to be honest with you, Matt. I've never hunted a day in my life. It's It's been curveballs or nothing else and that's all i've hunted and i fish i do fish a lot but uh the birdies now yeah yeah that's right I, I do golf a little bit too but man we, we there's such an interest obviously in hunting and there's a really cool spot um, called liberty hills up in rector where they provide pheasant hunts they do field hunts and tower hunts and so it's a really cool event especially if you got a son or a daughter that likes to hunt preferably 13 years or older and you want to bring them out it's just a two-person tower hunt so basically what they're going to do is they're going to sit you behind a, a big old hay bale or a, a plywood sign and that's going to be station one there's going to be 10 stations and they're going to stand in, in the tower and they're going to throw out a pheasant and first come, first serve to see who shoots it. And then after 20 birds or so, you'll go to the next station so that in case the wind's blowing a certain direction and they're all going to one station, you'll get your hand or your try at that particular station. It's just going to be a really fun, fun event um, for you to come out. And obviously all the proceeds go to the ministry of FCA. They go directly to help Darius and Jay Cliff and the resources that they need, such as Bibles. And they need food money because nobody comes to nothing unless there's food. And so uh, <laughs> we, uh, we, we spend a lot of money on food. But middle of February, February 19th, uh, just a Saturday, we got two time slots, an AM or a PM. And you just sign up for that. Let me know that you want to be a part of that. There is limited spots because there's only so many stations. So there's only 20 teams available for the whole day. We're going to do some giveaways, some $500 gift cards on the line as well to DNW, And then I think we're going to have a few others that get put in that stockpile as, as well. So really looking forward to it. It's going to be a cool event. be cool because at the end, they'll get together, you know, Share the message a little bit, yep. and then everybody's going to apologize to the peasants. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not sure how they're going to take that. Yeah. But, uh, obviously, Higginbotham Dental is is helping us out. They're our title sponsor, and we're going to have lunch out there. Everybody's going to get a, a a small gift, and there is. I mean, it's huge further south. Most people don't know it around here, but there's a huge segment of FCA called FCA Outdoors, yeah. where they're taking this niche of hunting and any outdoor event and and um, wrapping it around FCA and implementing FCA into those. Even, even right here, you know, several teams have trap, shooting, trap or yeah. archery teams. Yep. So, yep. Yeah, that's 100% right. Yeah. So it's a pheasant tower shoot hunt benefiting the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Northeast Arkansas Saturday, February 19th, Liberty Hill Outfitters and Rector. And just go to the website if you want to register. Is that yeah, right? NEAFCA.org is the easiest place you'll see under events where to sign up. My information is on there as well. You can call or text me, email me, and it will get to me directly. I'll make sure you're, you're logged in as well. But any other information you would like, um, neafca.org will, will get you. And this has been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I called you today. You had no idea you were going to come in here and tell your life story. But no, but you I, tell it well. I do that often. And so, yeah, I got a pretty good grasp <laughs> on that. And who knows? I mean, what are you guys going to say? I, I lied. I, how are you going to know my life story? <laughs> I tell people that all because I train athletes a lot of times on how to share their life story. And I got to tell this because this is one of the best stories I've ever I've ever had within FCA if we got time. Yeah. Um, 
So I mentioned Zach Maggio had this life transformation right before his senior year. And so I'm walking with him weekly on what's happened, what, what happens next, how do you read, how do you understand, how you pray, how you evangelize, all these things. And so I'm working with him on how to share his story because that's what people want to hear is they want to hear how God transformed his life. So we're sitting in the, in the union at Arkansas State, and I'm helping him walk through who he was before he gave his life away. And so we're practicing how to tell somebody this. So he, he starts off, he says, my name's Zach Maggio. And, you know, I was always the baseball guy and I used to drink and do drugs. And he stops and he looks over at me. He said, Todd, I've never done drugs before. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you don't have to make that part <laughs> up. Said, why'd you say that? And he said, I don't know. It just came out. I thought it sounded good. <laughs> so, well, nobody's going to call you out. I mean, it is your life. Nobody's going to call you out on whether or not you did or didn't, but you don't have to lie, lie to them. He said, yeah. no, I know I, don't, I won't say it. <laughs> Bob, always great to see you, buddy. Thanks for coming Thank by. You. I appreciate you guys. Thanks. More to come on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank right after this. Your first home is like this dream. The day you walk in, the sun seems to shine more brightly. The ceilings, they just seem taller. And you'll never fix that creaky floorboard because it sounds like comfort. What a hug would sound like if it made a sound. And that's when you realize your home really, really home. Realize your dream with a home loan from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Really enjoyed that visit with Todd Baumgartner. Some A-State football news this past week. And, you know, when Butch Jones was in here a few weeks ago on this podcast, he talked about how they had a couple of more spots Uh that they could still fill with this class, this recruiting class. And he said that, you know, they wanted to hit the portal and find a linebacker. And it turns out they signed a couple of linebackers. Same day. You know, and that, it was Thursday, maybe, or Friday. Yeah, One, Thursday maybe or Friday. Friday. It was late it in the week. Friday, where you know it starts out with Alabama transfer linebacker King Wakuda coming mm-hmm. out and saying he's coming to Arkansas State. That was a, he said that, and he had already done an intro video with an Arkansas State yeah. uniform on on the field at Centennial Bank Stadium. And then you know, about the time I show it on the air, A State football puts out that it has added. Jordan Carmouche from Houston, a transfer linebacker. A need that really needed to be addressed in that linebacking core. And I'm interested to see how that linebacking core looks, especially if we see Kavon Bennett as part of that linebacking core. I I haven't talked to anybody over there about this. What I I would not be surprised to see happen because we talked about, and even Butch Jones talked about with Kavon Bennett, he's going to play some linebacker. Because that'll be the position he'd play in the NFL. He's mm-hmm. going to stand back and not put a hand on the ground. This King Makuta, four-star recruit, was really more regarded coming out of high school as one of the class's best edge rushers. That's what he, the, by all accounts, is probably what the kid prefers to play. So it wouldn't surprise me, even though Kevon Bennett, we think of him as a defensive end, and this kid's coming in, he's been called a linebacker if those two just don't get flip-flopped. 
Yeah, we'll see where they're at during spring practice, which is coming up sooner than you think. Yeah. So you we'll know, get some of those questions a, yeah, answered. Yeah, is a linebacker. I don't think there's much doubt about that. So, yeah, uh, big big day there uh, late in the week, addressing some needs and getting caught. And, and this, is what, this is what I think, too, about getting an Alabama transfer. People think – they sign some good kids. If you get a transfer from there, you think, well, that kid, that's a good kid. But here's my thought on it when it comes to Arkansas State getting an Alabama transfer. In terms of buying a car, Butch Jones is getting the full Carfax report. Number one, if he was there in Alabama for three years, it was through recruiting this kid and his he first two years Butch on Jones. campus. Yeah. Number two, even if he, even when you cycle through the kids, maybe Butch Jones no longer knows, Nick Saban is not letting Butch Jones take a lemon off the Alabama roster. They're too tight. He's not going to let him do it. In my opinion, I mean, at any point, you could be standing I, I by. I think we've seen on several yeah. occasions that, that they still communicate At any point, you could lot. be standing or talking with Butch Jones, and his phone's going to ring, and it's Nick Saban. So I, I just think they're. I think those two guys are too close for Nick Saban to allow Butch Jones to sign a kid off the Alabama roster. He That's didn't a good think point. Would help him. A state basketball with another big week ahead, and we mentioned earlier. By the time A state the men play on Thursday night, it will have been twelve days between games. So after the Little Rock cancellations last week, the Red Wolves at home this week hosting a Texas Arlington team that has turned some heads in league play. They were not very good in the non-conference portion of the season, but they're 4-2 and two in league play. They've got some good wins under their belt. They've won at Georgia State. They have a home win against the Cajuns. They did lose at home in overtime back on Saturday to ULM, but this is a pretty good UTA team that's coming in on Thursday night, 7 o'clock the tip time for that one, and then Texas State, who has the exact same record as the Red Wolves right now at 11-4 and four overall, 2-1 and one in league play, will be in here Saturday at 2. Yeah, and Norshad O'Meara is going to be really, really ticked off. He's not the Sunbelt Player of the Week this week. Little Rock found a way to keep that from happening. Just don't play the dude. He can't be player of the week that way. Yeah, it's hard to do when, uh, when you don't so, play. So he'll be all keyed up. And, uh, yeah, it should, uh, it should be a fun weekend. Looking forward to, to both of these because these have been two good programs in this league. And so uh be fun to see them roll through here and see where things stand at the end of the week. Not quite the same sentiment as losing Little Rock, but this is – most likely the last time that Texas Arlington you would think will so. be in Jonesboro for a while, at least as a conference opponent. It looks like they're headed out of the league as well. They're going to the whack. Yeah, and so send them out of here with their tails between their legs. <laughs> the women, it seems like they've been at home forever. Yeah, they're yeah. finally back on the road. They play at South Alabama Thursday at 7, and then – at Troy, Saturday at 4. And look, for a long time, Little Rock was the class of the league on the women's side. And Troy has kind of taken over that position the last few years. And it'll be a big test coming up Saturday at Troy, but one that uh, I'm sure this A-State team's looking forward to. If you thought that App State game was entertaining last Thursday night at 98-92, 
you better tune in for this matchup yeah. with Troy because there are going to be a bunch of points scored, I believe. So that's what's coming up basketball-wise this week. We've covered a whole lot today. Yeah. But I always want Bobo to feel better about everything. That comes by letting him get some things off his chest. Well, I've been sitting on this one. All right. What do we got today? Because by the time we join you next week, next Tuesday, the day this podcast comes out, at at about lunchtime or 1.30, somewhere along in there, next Tuesday, the 25th, is when the Baseball Hall of Fame class will be announced. And so uh, I might as well dust off one that uh, comes up on my show on a yearly basis. How really, I don't know if there is a group of people walking God's earth that take themselves more seriously than baseball hall of fame voters. There, There's not. And it's Talk about an overinflated view of their place in the deal. And, and it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. You know, it's funny you mention this because just last night I was looking at the highest percentage of votes that Hall of Famers had. There's one major leaguer in history that got 100% of the vote, and that was three years ago with Mariano Rivera. There were six people that did not vote Nolan Ryan into the Hall of Fame. I mean, Babe Ruth was not a unanimous Hall of Famer. 11 people didn't vote for Babe Ruth. I mean, it's... Stan Musial was not a unanimous Hall of Famer. And a lot of it is just these writers got their feelings hurt because maybe they got rubbed the wrong way at some point by some of these players. Derek Jeter was not a unanimous Hall of Famer because one guy didn't vote for him because he thought, I don't want him to be a unanimous Hall of Famer and I'm, I'm scared nobody else will not vote for him, so I'll do it. I've never. You've been to Cooperstown, yeah. I haven't. This this is what this is one another thing that drives me crazy about these voters. I haven't been, but I have seen a lot of it. And, and you've been, and, and I've never asked. I, there's not a separate wing for the first ballot Hall of Famers, is there? There is not. You're a Hall of Famer or you're not, right? Correct. So there's these guys that these bunch of squirrels that vote take on this ten year meat grinder. Kurt Schilling's on it right now, and he's. And you could, I mean, look, a lot of people think a lot of things about Kurt Schilling, and that's okay. But for whatever reason, he's one of these guys that they've taken on this path where they're going to make him wait all 10 years. His Barry numbers, Bonds, Roger Clemens. And you, you know why with those two. But there have been guys, plenty of them, they drag it out. Scott Rowland, he sort of, come, there wasn't anybody, he was not like a consensus guy who's going to make the Hall of Fame because he got hurt a lot late in his career. I think he was a Hall of Fame talent, but he got hurt quite a bit late in his career. I think he's going to end up getting in, but it's this long and winding path. His numbers hadn't changed. I love Scott Rowland. Numbers are the same as they were the first time they're on the ballot. That's another thing that drives me crazy about right. not just voting or not voting for the for the steroid guys, but the guys who they just decide they're going to be these some guys that they should have to wait and wait and wait, and they're toward the end, right when they're about out of time on the ballot, we'll put them in. And that's the that's so stupid. Who are you to do that? I saw a, 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 a piece here. Derek Gould, who is the Cardinals beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. That'd be a, that's a nice job. There aren't a lot of those in the print business, but that would be one. Cardinal beat writer for the Post-Dispatch. This is what he put on a, a, a while back. It was actually the Blues radio guy that put this snippet out on January 7th. The Hall of Fame is first and foremost a museum. 
a repository for the game's treasures, a celebration of its place in our culture, and lessons on its history. Warts and all. It's Cooperstown. It's Cooperstown, not canonization. There are scoundrels honored beside gentlemen and players who starred before integration and inductees who played a role in resisting integration. The hall presents that history, bronzed, but some unvarnished too, so that we can learn from it and how media players and fans can avoid repeating past failures. It's a museum. Museum's job is to tell the history of something. Yeah. Not recreate or recraft the history of something by deciding who to put in and who not to. Feel better? I do, yeah. Oh, good. Until... Until next Tuesday Until, when those vote numbers start coming yes, out. Yes, next Tuesday we can all get fired up again. It's been a fun episode. We appreciate you tuning in. For Brad, I'm Matt. Have a great week, everybody.